Come on. Welcome to Life Club. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Caleb Silver. Welcome, Caleb. Good to be with you as always, George. What an honor. You are just a, uh, have so many great guests and it's an honor to be back. Yeah. Back for number 1500. Caleb was with us for number 500, number 1000, and now 1500. He is the editor in chief and SVP of content at Investopedia. They're an organization striving to empower every person to feel in control of their financial future. But you already knew that about Investopedia. Caleb, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Well, I feel like I have one of the coolest jobs out there because I get to be the editor-in-chief of a website that 23 million people come to every month to get their questions answered. Now, I don't personally answer their questions. I'm the editor-in-chief and, and one of the brand representatives, but um, I, am a, I am an investor too. I am an individual investor trying to be an educated investor as the editor-in-chief. I want to wear that hat as the educated investor, always learning, as you know, George, Learning about money is a lifelong journey. Um, so I'm always trying to wear that hat. I don't know everything. And I'm learning along with our readers, along with our listeners, along with the people that follow us on social and then trying to explain it. And I spend a lot of my time on the media, uh, whether it's on uh, a recurring hit I do with NBC News or uh, some of the local channels or radio or podcasts like this out there talking about what Investopedia is about, what we're seeing, because we get so many people coming to us trying to get their questions answered but also the temperature of the markets, the temperature of the economy. But my background is, you know, was not in this. I'm a business journalist. I've been doing this for 25 years in one form or, or another. But I started, George, in the restaurant business at a very young age. I uh, worked in it for 12 years and then was a uh, documentarian, make, uh, a filmmaker doing environmental education and nature documentaries. And, uh, and um, I worked for Amnesty International for a bit doing some docs. So my background is very different from where I ended up but I'm so glad I ended up where I ended up. Nice. What were you doing in the restaurant business? <laughs> Bussing tables, cooking. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is a fantastic restaurant town. And a lot of my friends, families were in that business. And there's a, some terrific families that run classic restaurants there. And I just grew up working there to make money, but I just loved it. Uh, eventually I'll make my way back to it, but I know that's an easy way to burn a lot of money fast, but I'm just so into service and, and the process and de delivering good food to people. And I still do that today in my home. I have a little cafe in my house here. My kids are the beneficiaries of, of, uh, Caleb's kitchen. Uh, I think that that's awesome. Like, you know, I don't know if it's, if training grounds or proving grounds are the right term or if there's another one, but the restaurant business is such a great way to just gain real world experience. And you get to meet people from all different walks of life and interact with all different kinds of people. And I know that I started busting tables when I was 14 or 15 and retired as a server at age 22, I think. Um, and, and who knows, life is a long journey home and it might be back there at some point. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I still have dreams of serving in the restaurant and they're not good dreams. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. I totally have dreams where I'm like, I'm so far behind and the tables are mad at me. And yeah, that's a, that's, that's, that, that's, that's a real thing. That's a very real thing. Make it <laughs> in the back of the restaurant in a full section and everyone's looking at you and you've got <laughs> two trays in your hands and you just backed up and you nice. wake up and you're in total fear. And you're like, wait, I haven't done that in 30 years. What's going on? But right. it, it stays with you. Yes, it is still right there. 
So there's the there's these memes and and internet memes are are, are amazing. The internet's amazing. The, the memes are amazing. The structure is how it started, how it's going. So you mentioned 23 million readers. That's amazing. But it's also 23 years ago is is when Investopedia started. Right. We were born in 1999 in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, Canada. Four very smart guys came up with this idea because the internet. Uh, stocks were popping. There were more retail investors coming into the market. This was the early days of E-Trade and Ameritrade and Schwab, discount broker. Obviously, it was on the scene. Um, and financial television, financial media became a mainstay uh, of our media consumption. But these guys said, hey, nobody understands a lot of this jargon. And you know, we got CNBC out there and we got now Bloomberg TV and CNN FN. I've worked at a few of those places. But they're talking kind of to themselves a little bit. Why don't we create a dictionary of financial terms and explainers? And then they thought to themselves, you know, there's this company down in Mountain View, California. They call themselves Google. They're trying to index the internet. Maybe if we put the definitions online, they may point to them and help people answer their questions. That turned out to be a really good idea, George. And then they added some test prep and how to you know, get a career in investing or trading in the finance industry, Series 63, the Series 7 exams, how to take those. Very smart idea at the time. They had it for about four or five years, sold it eventually to Forbes. Forbes had it for several years. Uh, eventually, they sold it to a company called ValueClick, I believe, who had it just for a few years. And then IAC, our grandparent company, Interactive Corp, um, bought us uh, as they acquired ValueClick years and years ago. And we've been in the IAC family now for about eight years but a few years ago, and this is a more detail than most folks need to know, but it's just fascinating how things happen with a brand like ours, which is still here. 23 years, George, is like 230 years in the internet. Um, we were acquired internally by a company called Dot Dash that you will remember, and maybe some of your listeners will remember as About.com. About.com was sure. one of the big sort of search engine, answer your question type sites in Internet 1.0. The Times owned them for a while. I see bought them. And then right after that, sort of the bottom fell out because Google changed its famous algorithm, which it does pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. And then the, the executives at about.com rebirthed about.com as a bunch of different vertical sites. They went very deep because the internet is now two things or an internet 2.0, Facebook and, and Google, it is personal and it is deep. Mm -hmm. So they said, let's go uh, instead of a travel about.com slash travel, let's call it trip savvy instead of about.com slash health. Let's call it very well. And they grew, regrew these brands as the on their own, and then they acquired us into that family. So we're in the dot dash family of brands. Dot dash to finish the story. Recently acquired Meredith, the legacy publisher that's about 102 years old, based in Des Moines. Um, so now we are one of the biggest publishers on the internet. Dot dash Meredith with about 25, 26 brands, and a lot of them you've probably heard of, like People and In Style and Food and Wine and Investopedia and The Balance and Very Well. That's where we're at. Amazing. That's wild. I mean, the largest in North America. So certainly congratulations. I, I think, I, how, how do you think about your responsibility? And I suppose it probably hasn't changed, you know, but how, how do you think about that? For Investopedia and really for most of the sites in the Dot Dash family, we really think about it as answering people's questions, right? Everyone's got questions. A lot of people go to the internet to ask those questions. We want to make sure that we have the most responsible, most expert uh, uh, reviewed and written articles that answer the question most directly on our site. 
so that's the main way people experience Investopedia. You know, nobody's browsing Investopedia, but me, maybe. Uh, and I don't even do it that much. I go there for a reason, just like sure. everybody else does, whether that's what does EBITDA mean or what broker should I sign up if I want to start trading or investing or what's the difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k? Any of those questions. We have 36,000 articles on the site. So lots of questions, lots of answers. So that's first and foremost, clean answers, very direct, um, neutral, but just trying to help people get to the core of the question and then help them take a next step. Because if you have a question like, how do I invest 10,000 bucks or where should I invest 10,000 bucks? You have a very serious intention, George. Uh, you want to invest. So once you're in that article, we're going to give you opportunities to look around inside of a journey of articles to then say, okay, let me look at your list of best online brokers, or let me actually understand the principles of dollar cost averaging or um, you know, buying index funds versus buying mutual funds. So we want, we're trying to help people get down that road, whether it's investing, managing their personal finances, budgeting, saving, buying a home, starting a business. All of those questions need answers. That's our job. My job is to make sure that we are answering those cleanly and I'm communicating outside the site. I break the third wall of the site and I'm out there speaking to you and I'm speaking on television, um, doing my podcasts, and I'm trying to create this other these other touch points with our viewers. But again, I wear that hat of the educated investor, constantly learning, don't know everything, seen some of these things happen before. How do they usually play out? What can history tell us? And what is the future telling us when we look in, into some of those uh, futures markets? So that's my job. Um, but I am the last word editorially and the brand representative. Nice. 36,000 articles. And you are the place where I go. And or even if I if I search, that, that, that certainly pops up. I'm 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 confident that you're cognizant exactly where you are in in in, in that search. But uh, certainly I, I can echo everything you just said that that's where I go when I need specific information. I need something answered. Um and I appreciate that, that, that that's how you want to and are viewed and the resource that you are providing, the value that you are providing. How do you think about opinion? Is, is, is that part of the outreach or is that, is that not part of, of, of what you may, and maybe the future will hold? Yeah, we are deliberately trying to stay away from opinion. Why? Because it's everywhere, George, and it's everywhere around money and it's everywhere around investing and it's everywhere around politics. And anytime we stray in off of, into that lane, we get uh, brushed back from our from our readers one way or the other. It's, mm -hmm. Our readers are, are around the world, uh, half in the U.S., so everyone's got a strong opinion. But the reason they come to us is not for that. They want to know the answer to the question, the best, cleanest answer so they can make a decision on their own. And so we deliberately stay away from that. And, uh, you know, it's tempting, no matter what's going on in the world, it's tempting to have an opinion. I have opinions, uh, but as the editor in chief, I try to keep myself in, in this, in the lane of what's going to help people the most answer the question. They don't really want my opinion on what stock to buy. And I wouldn't take it either from me. They don't want my opinion on, on, uh, whether or not the president's policies are working and the federal reserve's policies are working. They want us to make sure that we're getting to the core of the question. And that is a challenge in and of itself. But it also frees us up where we don't really have to be weighing opinion and trying to weigh one way or the other. Just just be who we are. And being who we are is, is great. And there's not a lot of people in our space that do that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Is that how it's always been? Like in this 23-year period, has it always been 
this is what we're doing. We're not getting into opinion or have there been times where you've dipped your foot in or jumped all the way in? Yeah, I've, I've dipped my foot in. I'm, I had an opinion uh, columnist. I had a group of them uh, covering a variety of issues uh, early on when I started. And what I realized pretty quickly was it's crazy divisive. If you want a lot of reader feedback, that's not friendly. That's a great way to do it. <laughs> and P.S. It doesn't get a lot of traffic doesn't get a lot of eyeballs. Now, even I had some well-known people, I had some Pulitzer Prize winners writing for us. That doesn't mean it's, you know, sprinkled with the magic dust of, of internet traffic and people are dying to read it. And when they see that it's us and that it's opinion, I don't think that wraps very well with them. I don't think that package looks great under the tree uh, for them. And it, it wasn't working. And it was, took a lot of effort and a lot of playing defense versus what we do really well, which is let's, Look at these 36,000 articles and make sure we're putting time and effort into making sure they are the best. So one thing we spend a lot of time and money on, George, every year is updating our articles to make sure they have fresh information, a new case study, a new quote, a new chart, a new dynamic has played out. We're looking at just these days, inverted yield curve. Everyone's looking it up. Why? Because there's concerns that the yield curve is going to invert, which is a predecessor to a recession. Now, the yield curve definition didn't change over the years. It is what it is, but there are dynamics at play right now that help people understand that better if we update it with the current context. So we spend a lot of time updating. We spend a lot of time doing new articles and news. We have our own little news thing that we do, but our, our news is straight down the middle. And we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that the things that we know people are coming to us on a regular basis are as good as those can be. And that is a full-time job for our entire editorial staff. Yes, no doubt sort of going through the numbers in my head just a second ago. It's like, okay, if we wanted to update all of our articles in a year, how many people hours is that going to take? And obviously it's probably a lot. So, but I also hope that there's a lot of, well, I know that there's a mental wisdom to be taken from what you just said, said that if you want horribly devices feedback, go ahead and do opinions. And it also just doesn't play. It doesn't get the results. So sticking to the facts, the truth, educating, and then inviting people or giving them the resources should they decide they want to take action. You've, you've trained them up. You've provided great literacy and resources. And now here's people that we've gone through and vetted should you decide that you want to do that. I wish that other news organizations would do that too. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so tempting to want to chase the fire and, and run into mm -hmm. it, especially in very politically divisive times. And we've been in those for many years, but also in the markets and we're dealing with people's money. You know how emotional that is, George. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this for a long time. People are very emotional about their health and about their money. These are very personal things. So they really don't want anything but the facts, ma'am, when we're giving them that information. And like I said, anytime we do it, we get that brush back and it's just not worth it. We, we have this special connection to our readers and to our followers that is so sacred to us. And we have a, about a million and a half um, daily newsletter subscribers. We have about four or five daily newsletters and they've been with us for a long time. And they're so loyal to us. And we have a big open rate on them that we're allowed to survey them. Uh, they, get, they give us the opportunity to ask them how they're feeling or how their sentiment is every couple of months. Um, and they tell us and we have conversations about it through our newsletters and through my podcast. And then I'm able to take that information. That's a lot of people uh, you know, representing the pulse of the individual investor and then go talk about it in the media. And our audience and our readers, they like the fact that I'm talking about the Investopedia reader because I think they're super smart. So it works well for us. And that trust is the most important thing we have going for us. Yeah. Amen. So how do you 
figure out what you need to be touching. We talked earlier about before we hopped online about how are you back in the office in person and you've got all these new people and the same and the the great team that you have already and you've got this newsletter, you've got the podcast, you're doing ask me anything on social media. So how do how do you prioritize where to spend your time? <laughs> great question. Well, I obsessively follow what's going on in the financial media. I'm a business journalist. I've been in the game, you know, a very long time. So I know a lot of people out there. I got, you know, screens going all day long. And it's not that I'm watching the markets like like a hawk, but I'm watching the trends. I'm seeing what people are talking about. I'm looking for opportunities where Investopedia can play well into what other folks are doing. Not only that, because we have so many people coming to the site on a daily basis, all with intent. And that's the most important thing. They're coming to us for a reason. A, and everyone has an individual reason. We're able to look at what people are looking at and say, hmm. oh, like I was talking about the inverted yield curve. Well, that's obvious. People are talking about it in financial media. You're hearing it and it's happening. The yield curve is flattening. There's concerns. But I can also look at things that are popping out of nowhere and say, why? Why are people suddenly looking up racketeering, for example? Or why are suddenly people looking up uh, uh, capital gains uh, taxes, uh, long-term versus short-term. Are people trying to trade out? Maybe maybe trying to take some profits because that would be a reason to look that up. And then mm -hmm. I look at some other data and I'm able to kind of tell a story through the stories that people are reading on our site. And that's fascinating for us. So I am always looking at what people are looking at here. Then I'm looking at what's happening outside in the financial media and trying to draw the connection, create the bridge, and then go out there and speak about it as the voice of you know, the Investopedia uh, uh, general population, our readers, but also what the individual investors are really feeling right now. So that's where, where I spend a lot of my time. I have two podcasts, the Investopedia Express, which I put out every Monday, and now the Green Investor talking about ESG and SRI and, social, and uh, impact investing, where I'm trying to learn and teach about how to be a green investor, how to invest along with your environmental conscious. So those are the things I push out, but we are versus a news site, a very much a pull site, 90% of the traffic search we're pulling people in because they're looking for something and we have the best or one of the best results on that versus where I used to work at CNN or Bloomer, which is all push, extra, extra, read all about it. Hmm. We're not that. We're pull. You're looking. We're here to help you find it. Nice. Push site versus pull site. You learn something new every day, Caleb. I love it. All right. So I'm, I, I walk into Caleb's kitchen. This is, this is into the future. What? What kind of restaurant is it, Caleb? Well, I'm I'm a New Mexican. I love New Mexican food, so I'm a chili guy. Um, yeah. Probably, again, if you come in before noon, we're serving huevos rancheros uh, with red and green chili, Christmas if you like it. Uh, there's <laughs> probably going to be some pasole going, a big uh, pot of pasole going, which is hominy uh, for the afternoon, maybe apres ski. Uh, maybe I'm doing blue corn chicken enchiladas for dinner. So I'm rocking that, but I can go any which way on this. I can, I can take it Italian. I lived in, in Italy for, for a while when I was in college. So I'll take you to Tuscany if you want to do that as well. Um, I'm a, a man for all seasons and a Renaissance man in the kitchen when I can be, but breakfast is my jam and New Mexican breakfast is where it's at. So if you really want to leave satisfied, you're going to come in here for a good cup of pinon coffee, huevos rancheros, maybe a little pasole on the side, maybe a green chili corn bread uh, or fry bread. And, uh, you know, I'll have to wake you up on the couch in a couple hours, but that's what we're serving. Let's go. I'm in. <laughs> Caleb, I love it. The people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Uh, well, also, I forgot to mention, I am a black belt in guacamole. So okay. um, there are some things I do very, very well. 
guacamole is one of them. So there'll be some guac, even though it's not something you normally have with breakfast. I'm going to make sure you have that. So the difference making tip I have, and I'm going to pair it. Uh, I'm going to pair Charlie Munger on this. I don't know if I did this in episode 1000, but I, if I did, I'm going to do it again. Um, you can tell me if I did and you can, you can buzz me out, but uh, I'm, I'm going to see Charlie Munger, who's the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. He's about 97 years old, I think at least uh, at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting in early May. And Charlie said something to us once when we interviewed him, and this was when he was about 90, so he was already pretty um, mature, as they say. And he said, you know, I have no capacity in my life for people that don't have the ability to change their mind. Mm. Um, and I'm a believer in that as well. Strong opinions held loosely. Um, so you asked about opinion earlier. I have strong opinions, but I'm willing to change my mind. I'm willing to learn from people to help me change my mind so I can have a better point of view on something. So if a 90-year-old billionaire can say that. Certainly I can say that. And it's rules to live by for me. Um, that's my tip. And then my, my mantra, I'm going to borrow from Bruce Lee and just be like water, because as you know, in this life, George, and you've had great guests on this and you've been through your own uh, experiences, some things you can't control, but if you can be like water and let it flow and flow with it, you're going to be a lot happier on the other side of it. So I try to do those things, both of those things, stay curious, be in, in, the, in the frame of mind to change my mind and then flow like water. And, and so far, so good at 51. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets come up. Black belt and guacamole, be like water and strong opinions held loosely. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Um, where can people learn more? Where, where can we check out the Investopedia Express, the Green Investor, the ask me anything's where where can people consume investopedia and all things caleb silver great questions well the green investor and the investopedia express uh, express my two podcasts those are available wherever you get your podcasts so that's apple amazon spotify uh google um everywhere you get them so you can just search up and we also have transcripts or our old episodes and show notes on investopedia.com uh, you can look for those there on the social medias. We are at Investopedia on Twitter, on Instagram, and now on TikTok, where I've been doing just straight investing lessons and explainers. And I am not getting silly wearing funny hats and sunglasses. And now I'm here, now I'm there. I'm just being me right here in my office in, in Harlem and, and trying to tell people uh, or explain to people what's going on in the world. So TikTok, check us out. I'd love to hear your feedback on that. And then I'm available at Caleb Silver and I'm easy to find on LinkedIn or through our website. I'm the easiest guy to find in financial media. And I am so grateful to you, George, for the work that you do in general, but also for having me back. It's so nice to be with you. Well, thank you, sir. If you enjoyed this much as I did, show Caleb your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Check out the Investopedia Express and the Green Investor wherever you enjoy your podcast. Obviously, go to investopedia.com and check out all the amazing resources and those 36,000 articles that they're constantly getting updated. Find Caleb all over the internet, social media. I'll list all those that we just went through in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Caleb. Thanks for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.